morning, everyone. I think, as we all know, our brother David and Kelly are in Georgia uh, doing a little bit like what we do in Sojourners. They're there with a small congregation that's in need of encouragement, and that's their purpose for being there. And uh, the Lord willing, tonight, as I'll be giving a report on the work in Russia and also a little bit about our mission work in general, uh, I'll tell a little bit more about the sojourning uh, mission then as well. But this morning, I want us to focus our attention on something very meaningful, if we understand it correctly, uh, to our lives as Christians, our spiritual lives. I want to talk about uh, growing spiritually, and in particular in reference to God's providence. We're going to be looking at Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, so you might go ahead and be turning there. I think maybe I've mentioned this at some point in the past, but I'll mention it again. About uh, 54 years ago, the summer before Kay and I married, I took a piece of lumber uh, from a pallet that came from Wolverine Tube where my dad worked, and uh, I carved a plaque with Romans 8.28 on it. And uh, it's my favorite verse, it was my mother's favorite verse, and uh, it came to represent the basis of, of our marriage. And so I wanted to uh, do this for our upcoming marriage. And that simple wooden plaque uh, with Romans 8.28 carved on it has hung on the wall of every place in the world in 53 years that we have called home. Even when we are away on sojourns, it hangs in our RV on the wall. I want us to look at this in depth this morning and see what we can glean from it. The definition of providence though, the Greek word translated providence is only found two times in the New Testament, in Acts and in Romans, but neither place is it uh, actually talking about what we understand as uh, the divine providence of God. It speaks of uh, doing good uh, and being good to others, providing something for others, but actually uh, there is no Greek word which translates into divine providence. Certainly the teaching is there and it is very clear and evident as we will try to unpack that uh, in the next few minutes. But as far as finding that exact word, uh, it's not there. I believe in the King James Version in Acts 24 2, it is actually translated providence, but it's not referring to what we refer to as God's providence in the Christian's life. Uh, but while there is no Greek word that translates directly as divine providence as we use it, Webster defines providence as divine guidance divine guidance. In general, divine providence is the governance of God by which he, with wisdom and love, cares for and directs all things in the universe, 
in particular his children. There are plenty of examples in the Bible of divine providence. We'll just mention three very familiar ones. In Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20, this is in the context, of course, of Joseph being sold into slavery uh, by his brothers and ending up in Egypt part of the time as a, as a servant or a slave, part of the time in prison. But eventually, as we all recall, he went on to be second in command of the whole nation of Egypt. And there in Genesis 50, in verse 20, as his brothers are before him in Egypt, and it has been made known that he is Joseph, the brother that they had sold into slavery years before, and they were fearful that now that they are together once again, that they are going to be severely treated because of what they did to him. But there in verse 20 of Genesis 50, hear what Joseph said. He says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring about it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. God's providence. Joseph saw it very clearly. All of this was in God's plan. Everything, everything that happened. And now look at us, where we are in the way God has worked it out for us. And then another one, is found in Esther chapter 4 and verse 14. The context of this, you recall, is Esther being in the right place at the right time. You remember that her relative Mordecai had raised her since her parents uh, died, and she went on to be queen. And there was a plot against the Jewish people to exterminate them, to do away with them. And so Mordecai saw that there was a way that queen, the queen could risk her life in going unannounced before the king to plead on the Jews' behalf, and she did it. And so at first she was reluctant, but then Mordecai said there in Esther chapter 4 and verse 14, for if you, talking to Esther, if you keep silent at this time, Relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And so we know how it all unfolded. Uh, the Jews were not killed. God's providence at work. And then the third one, of course, is the example of Paul. The great Apostle Paul in all of his great work, his great missionary work of preaching the gospel throughout the known world at that time, and then he finds himself persecuted and in a Roman dungeon, prison. Pretty bad for one of God's great heroes of the faith. But in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, Listen to Paul explain his understanding of everything. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel 
so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. God's providence. Yes, it was terrible. Who wants to be in a prison or in a Roman prison as we understand what it must have been like? But yet, God knew what was going on. He knew his great servant Paul, and he was taking care of him, and it worked out for good. So these are three biblical examples of what we refer to as divine providence, but I want us to look at God's providence in our lives today. Talking about growing spiritually, this, part, this is part of it. Part of growing spiritually is fully understanding, believing, and trusting in God's providence, God's care in our lives. And perhaps the most comprehensive description of God's providential care in our lives is found in Romans 8:28. And we look at that verse, it's very simple. Within the context of chapter 8 of Romans, he's talking about uh, great suffering that Christians will endure, uh, great uh, groanings and evil in the world at large, talking about how the Holy Spirit would intervene and help us in our prayer life to, to God. And within this uh, context comes Romans 8:28, where Paul says, and we know, we know, that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. And there it is, a simple, short scripture, verse. But it, like no other in my mind, uh, tells us what God's providence is in our lives. I want us to look at three elements here of God's providential care in our lives found in Romans 8.28. First of all is the assurance of God's care, the assurance of God's care, and that is the phrase, and we know. And then second, we'll be looking at the scope of God's care. All things work together for good. And then thirdly, the recipients of God's care to those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. So let's look at these one by one. First of all, there is that beginning phrase, and we know. This is assurance of God's care in our lives. It is God's promise to us in our lives. The word know is from a Greek word meaning to be aware, to behold, to consider, to perceive, to appreciate. But seeing how this same word is used elsewhere in scripture reveals the full impact of Paul's use of it here in Romans 8.28. First of all, let's consider how Jesus used this word know. And we'll be looking at Matthew 9, verses 1 through 8. Matthew 9, 1 through 8. 
And the context here, of course, is healing the paralytic and forgiving him of his sins. So beginning with verse 1, and getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying in a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your heart? For which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to men. And so, this is the word know, that you may know that I have authority to forgive sins. And then, Consider how John used the word no. And we'll look at 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13. And here John is giving the reason why he is writing these things in that letter. 1 John 5.13, John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So brethren, as sure as we can know that God can forgive or Jesus can forgive sins, and as sure as we can know that eternal life awaits us, we can know that everything in life will work out for our good. We know beyond a shadow of a doubt that everything that happens to us in life, good and bad, works for our ultimate good because why? Because God is faithful. When he makes a promise, he keeps it. And God is faithful. In Psalms 100 and verse 5, this is affirmed, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. God's faithfulness cannot be defined by our perception as to whether or not events or circumstances work out in what we perceive to be in our favor. God is faithful even if events don't turn out as we wish or think that they should. So God will never deny his own character or his divine plan to cause everything to work out for our good. And so we understand then that there is assurance. We can know beyond a shadow of a doubt because God promised and God is faithful that everything will work out for good for those of us who love God and are called according to his purpose. But then let's go on to the second aspect in Romans 8, 28, and that is the scope 
of God's care in our lives. And that's the phrase that all things work together for good. How many? All, all things will work out for our good. And brethren, only when we see our present existence set in God's activity, which goes from eternity to eternity, do we get it in the right perspective. Thus we come to see that everything that comes to the Christian in this life must, cannot be otherwise, must work together for good to him. We've got to understand that and to know it and to believe it. Thus, all that is negative in this life is seen to have a positive purpose in the execution of God's eternal plan. And certainly part of our human existence is suffering and hardship. And suffering and hardship seem to hinder and oppose God's purpose for Christians. But in actual facts, these things too that seem to frustrate God's purpose come to serve in its accomplishment. And the result is that nothing, nothing in this life can harm the Christian. Nothing in this life can harm the Christian, period. It's a fact. God has said so. Divine providence demonstrates that God is never out of control. And Satan is in the world. This is his domain. He runs about seeking whom he may devour like a roaring lion. And we can see evidence of his work everywhere around us in this world. But you know what? Satan can do his worst Yet even the evil that is tearing the world apart today is somehow working toward a greater final purpose. So everything, all the evil that happened to Jesus here on earth led to the cross, did it not? And our salvation. Philippians is my favorite book in the scriptures, especially chapter 2 which I consider to be the most profound in all of God's Word, and that is the emptying passage. And if you have the English Standard Version, I believe this comes nearest to all of the translations in properly translating this scripture. But look at Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. Ephesians 2, 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, 
Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so it must be frustrating to Satan. Satan thought he was victorious at the cross. Finally, from creation, his plan to destroy everything that God had put into place and promised and did. Here it is, his son, God, hanging on a Roman cross, dying, spilling his blood. I've won, but no matter what he does, he finds that his plans are thwarted. And something good happens in the end. Don't you know that Satan must be so frustrated because Jesus rose from the dead and is even now at God's right hand interceding for us on behalf of the Father. And so something good always happens. Why? Because God has promised that everything we know that everything works together for good to him who loves God and is called according to his purpose. Take it to the bank. It's fact. So third, let's look at the recipients of God's providential care. And that's found in the phrase, to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Those who love God. They are the ones who receive this blessing, this promise that everything will work together for good. This phrase identifies the persons who shall receive the blessing of having all things work together for good on their behalf. Notice just a few statements in Scripture. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments in John 14, 15. And then on down in verse 21, Jesus says, He who has my commandments and keeps them is he who loves me. And then John said in 1 John 5, 3, This is the love of God that we keep his commandments. So to whom is this promise given? It is given to those who love God. And those who keep his commandments are the ones who love God. And then it says, and there is the phrase, those who are the called. It's almost as if Paul realizes that maybe there's a possibility of misunderstanding the phrase, who love God. So he adds this expression, who are the called according to God. So who are the called, and how does this calling occur? And I think Paul gives the answer in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 14. 2 Thessalonians 2, 14. To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it is the gospel. We are called by the gospel in our obedience to the gospel. Those of us who love God and keep his commandments and obey his gospel. In one sense, the totality 
of humankind are called by the gospel, go into all the world and preach the gospel. But the phrase here, according to his purpose, limits the persons here spoken of to them that go on to obey the gospel. Christians, in other words, faithful Christians. And then the phrase, according to his purpose. By this he means, in one body, the church. That's found in Colossians 3.15. And that through the church there might be made known the manifest wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Ephesians 3, 10 through 11. So God's eternal purpose of gathering the saved of all ages into one body in Christ was a design which God foreordained before the world unto our glory. So let's look at this. From Romans 8, 28, we grow spiritually when, first of all, we know, second, that all things work together for good, third, to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Let me just conclude these thoughts with suggesting a perspective of divine providence. You know, for, for the longest, considering the providence of God, it was uh, a past tense thing of not being able at the present time to understand what's happening. Why do good things happen or bad things happen to good people in the heat of the moment to understand? And when you can't understand it, but later on, you can look back and say, okay, I see it now, how that this happened, and because of this happened, what happened, it's now brought me to where I am now. Okay, I see it, I understand. We can always see things working in our lives for good, looking back and believe in God's providence. And we have, I'm sure all of us can... Uh, express examples of this very thing. Uh, one that's uh, very much embedded in mine and Kay's heart is something that happened to us a while back. Uh, something that was uh, very hurtful and unjust that happened to us, but to make a long story short, because of that hurtful thing that happened to us that crushed us at the time, it led us to Russia. And of all of our missionary work, Russia stands out as the best missionary involvement that we've ever been blessed to be a part of. Some 10 years, five of which we lived there. It wouldn't have happened had this other thing not happened. And you can express or remember similar experiences in your own life of this. At the time, we didn't understand why this had happened to us. But later on, when the door opened to Russia and we were able to go in by the assistance of this congregation, uh, we saw it all clear, yes. God was in control, making sure that everything worked out for our good. But here's the thing. 
if we are growing spiritually, we can see and appreciate God's providence in our lives in the present also. We don't have to wait until sometime later and look back to appreciate God's providence. If we properly understand God's providence and how it works and the promises that is made, we can receive the blessing in the present. Even when we don't understand what's going on, we can know that God's providence is at work. Present blessing of God's providence in our lives is that we don't worry about what's going on. Listen to our Lord in Matthew 6, verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be uh, anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Somewhere in uh, studying for this lesson, I saw where somebody wrote, Today is the tomorrow you worried about yesterday. Today is the tomorrow you worried about yesterday. So focusing on knowing that all things work together for good for Christians today is the antidote to worry. We shouldn't worry. We can be concerned, but we shouldn't worry. And that's what the God, God's providence present in our day-to-day -day lives means. Two other scriptures to consider along this line in Philippians 4, verses 6 through 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then in 1 Peter 5, verse 7, Paul, or Peter, jumping into the middle of one of his long sentences, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And so this is a perspective that I really want to impress upon you today. Not so much being able to see and understand and appreciate God's providence because you can look back and see how it all worked together, but in the present, right now, when something has happened, something bad is happening perhaps, and we don't understand, but if we understand God's providence, we know we absolutely 100% know that somehow this is for my good. So negative becomes a positive and it helps us to get through it presently. And sure enough, later on, we can come look back and see exactly how it came about. But in the present, we can know and that can help us not to worry and not be anxious. We are worriers. We are. And we can be concerned. But there's a difference from being concerned and worrying about it. We don't have to worry. So you know that you are spiritually mature. When you can wake up in the morning and know 
that everything that day, regardless of its nature, will work in your favor. And then you can pillow your head at night knowing that all is well if you are a faithful child of God. That, that is just unbelievable. And so my encouragement to us this morning is to look at God's providence in this special way. Understanding it in the past, but understanding it in the present as well. Are you here this morning and in need of prayer? Are you here needing to confess sins? Are you here needing to put Jesus on in baptism for the forgiveness of sins? If you are here and you are subject to the gospel, we invite you to come now as we stand and sing.